Hello and welcome to the Toast Podcast with me, Laura Barton. For our sixth series, we've collaborated with Yorkshire Sculpture Park for wide-ranging conversations with six of Britain's most exciting sculptors. Hi. 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 I'm Laura. Oh, wow. For more than 15 years, Heather Peake and Ivan Morrison have collaborated on projects that draw together art, architecture, nature and performance. These are engaging works such as Mother, a thatched hut on Wiccan Fen, The Black Cloud, a wooden pavilion that has stood in both Bristol and the Hepworth Wakefield, and Silence, Alone in a World of Wounds which was installed at Yorkshire Sculpture Park's Upper Lake in 2021. In early spring, I visited Heather aboard a sculptural narrowboat that makes up one of the couple's most recent projects. We're moored in Barnoldswick, which is just on the Yorkshire-Lancashire uh, borders, in a really lovely um, community mooring, and there's lots of boats all in a row. We're actually on the Pennine Way, so when you walk the Pennine Way, you would walk past the boat. It's a very distinctive boat, both inside and out. Can you just describe it for us? Okay. The boat is 57 foot long. um, That's the the longest boat that you can have that could go on all of the canal system. And we're in a narrow boat. Narrow boats, you can stand in the middle and you'll probably touch both sides of the boat as well. This boat has a galley, which is a little kitchen, and then we're in a library. The library has the majority of the collection of short stories here. We've got paintings on the walls. We have lots of lighting, which is hand-cast lighting by Ivan and I. Everything is made by Ivan and I, and the lights are hand-cast shell lights with triangular windows above us, and then individual small yellow portholes of different sizes that let the light in. It's kind of important when you're reading to have enough light. And um, we're sitting on these sofas, which are made from timber from our wood, as is the boat is all clad in timber from our wood. Um, the library then leads into a writing room. writing room has a very lovely long brass desk, and we have our children's collection through there. Then we have two little bathrooms, a loo and a little sink. And then right at the end is um, another reading salon with two reading blankets, which were commissioned by Sophie Giller. And then they pull together and make a really nice double bed. Very comfy. I slept there last night. (laughs) So this isn't just a a, a lovely boat currently moored on the Pennine Way. It's it's a special art project and it has a special purpose. How did that come into being? Okay, so as an artist... I don't want it to sound kind of like Ponzi, you but can like use Ponzi, you please. It's fine. Okay, so so you have like things in your head that you just know you want to work on. Stuff sticks with you. Yep. So um, a long time ago, probably in my when I was a teenager, I watched Orange Is Not the Only Fruit on television. It was life changing. It put this thing about Accrington in my head. Yeah, I re- all this resonated with me. I I grew up in. Desborough, which is in Northamptonshire. I just had no exposure to anything cultural at all. I went to like a rubbishy local comp. I found everything in the library. It sounds cheesy. It's entirely true. I totally sat in the library and I looked through these large books of art and I saw Hockney, swimming pools. I saw, I even saw, I even found a catalogue from the Barbican of Helen Chadwick's work and I found out where she went to university and I went and studied the same degree that she did in printmaking so there was all this connection with libraries and so on so when 
that's an extraordinary woman called Laurie Peak. We're not related. She worked at Liverpool Biennial for a long, long time. Then she went to live in LA. And, and when she came back, she started to work for this commissioning organisation called Super Slow Way. And they work here in Lancashire. And we had tried to work together in the past. And she invited me to come up. I invited Ivan and I to come up to come and think about what we might do here. And that was about seven years ago. And I came up. And I thought, well, all I need to all I need to do is go to Accrington Library, and I'm sure that will lead the way. And I'll just be Jeanette Winston, and I'll just think about all of those things. And there's got to be a connection. And Accrington Library is a Carnegie Library. It's beautiful. It's enormous. It was built for working class people to gain knowledge. I mean, there's no point going into it. We know exactly what, what what's happened to our library service and so on. It's, it had the most extraordinary upper rooms, which were galleys, which were rooms for the education of working class people. So it had this incredible kind of like lecture programs that would happen every evening that you would go to. And so um, it had two stained glass windows and one says knowledge is power and the other one says oh for a book and a cosy nook. And they're beautiful, and the library is beautiful. And I, one of the things I did is I hung around just to see what the people of Accrington were reading, because I love looking at what's going. You know, because you have a narrative, don't you, all the time, yeah, about people. I know that narrative, and I thought, well, I wonder what's really going on. And it was it, it was interesting. There were quite a number of books on astronomy, so someone was trying that was interested in astronomy. There were a number of Margaret Atwoods there, so I wanted to create a space that has was beautiful um someone had put time and effort into creating some beautiful civic space because we don't do that anymore our schools and our libraries our town halls if we are building them at all are are, are never thought about um working class people don't seem to deserve aesthetics at all and of course aesthetic is the core of who we are and beauty makes us feel like we're worth it and it makes us grow and all those sorts of things so in a small way i wanted to create something exquisite I wanted also to bring back the um, idea of something of quality. So I wanted to bring a quality collection. And I know that people are really, really interested in things. They love digging into stuff. They love geeking out. I'm really that kind of person as well. So I decided on short stories. As So we have a really extraordinary collection of short stories on board. It meant as well with the library. I worked all in partnership with Lancashire Libraries and super slow way in men with the librarians they didn't have a short story collection well they didn't think they did it just wasn't categorized in that way so one of our first jobs was to pull together what it is they had so what you see here is a combination of books we bought and lancashire libraries short story collection as well so then they have a collection it took a long time for everything to come together it took a long time to get funded at one point the libraries and the librarians i was working with got closed so the whole thing just fell apart. A new uh, local authority came in and they reopened them. So we restarted again. So you, Because you can't build... And this is the thing with all the projects. It's the same with all of the works. They don't get built in isolation. You have to build them in a, 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 in a social sculpture. You have to make a social sculpture for the sculpture to grow and emerge through them as well. And this continues to grow, doesn't it? Because come the spring in particular, you'll be travelling up and down, being, being a mobile library yeah. and... People come on board and leave. people will do residencies yep. um, and stay and write. Local people can write. Yep. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, we're currently training 36 people who are local to the Leeds Liverpool Canal who are all doing their two-day inland waterway course to train as crew as well. So by the end of June, we'll have 36 local people who can move the boat, including um, librarians, 
as well as local people as well. So it's all that thing of like mixing and also just um I just muck about with hierarchy and you know, like I just don't really work with that. So so all of that stuff just means I think everything can grow. Yes, absolutely. And so um the boat will um stay on the Leeds Liverpool Canal. Um, at the moment, I can kind of think about three years ahead. So we have to do another funding application, actually, but that's fine. We have to keep doing that kind of thing. And this is boat is registered as an RV, so that means it's a research vessel. So just like um, a scientific research vessel, we do artistic research. So the boat tells us things all the time. Extraordinary conversations happen on board. I mean, one of the things that's become more apparent is, and I'm working on at the moment, is the co- is the sort of relationship between the boat and the towpath. And I think it's that when you manage to think, oh right, we've got a boat and literature, and we've got nature, and we've got movement, then you can start to think, well, you cut that through, and you've got like a sort of like all the works are about all kinds of different themes and balance of those as well. Um, the work of the boat is really important. I don't know if you've ever read Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Yeah, so that is why we work the boat because it's all about the work. Because she, so our boat. Once people have been part of the boat and have been working the boat, she becomes. She's a vessel, so she holds us. So she holds us. We look after her. She looks after us. I was actually very interested in something I read in preparing to meet you <laughs> about the guiding forces almost of of how you're thinking and, and your projects. And so you had Star Trek Discovery. Oh, yes. yes. Robin Wilkinra, yeah. Octavia... Um, Octavia Butler. Butler, and the, who else was it? Donna Haraway. Yes. So, and interestingly, apart from Star Trek mm. women, mm. but a, a really broad range of people there. The book to read... Well, Donna Haraway's obviously... She, she's a, a writer and... Um, she's, she's a writer and she's an anthropologist, I suppose. But um, the book... The one book to read of hers is, is Staying With The Trouble... So that's just, even the title should be sort of called out to you. I suppose there's something about being awake and being able to understand what's in front of you, to be able to um, see the world. Now that could take you, it kind of sits alongside some ideas around Buddhism as well, about understanding the systems that you work in. And that takes time to be able to do that and then to be able to make work and grow through that. Yeah, it's just wonderful. It's about acknowledging that life is quite hard and quite shit most of the time. So how do you live through all of that and feel some contentment and balance? How do you do that? And I think it's an element of all those three authors. Really. I'll tell you about the Star Trek thing as well, because that can be a bit... Because if you're not a Trekkie, and I'm not a Trekkie at all, <laughs> actually, but I, but I find Star Trek very inspiring. So the boat is called the RV Faroe Scabendi, and that's after an essay that um, Octavia Butler wrote. Oh, Laurie! It's Laurie! <laughs> <laughs> so done. Hello! I've just been talking about you. This is Laurie Peak. Hi, Laurie Peak. Do you yeah. mind if she just... Oh, absolutely. Come join. Very nice to meet you. You too. Hello, Billy. Oh, you sit there, because yeah. I'm sitting there. Yeah. I'll get you a cup. The boat got delivered to us, I think, like two months into lockdown in that kind of way. You know, when you... We couldn't even get anyone to deliver because you just no one wanted to be near anybody. And it came in very dramatically with this haulage company called Triple H, who are absolutely extraordinary. And they turned up and they were like full hazmat suits. 
but it was like the most extraordinary salve. It looks like this because we were going through all of everything we were going through. We just had time. It was that moment of like, it was like intense joy and utter terror. And so you just kept making and the children were like in the corner doing, doing their homework and the boat was all part of all of that. We didn't know this was going to happen, all of these paintings, you know. And they came about because we had time and we had time to read. So we had a lot more, we were reading a lot more of the short stories and the books and so on. So the aesthetic was really, a lot of those choices were made through that. Then we had to bring the boat up, but you couldn't move boats. You couldn't go anywhere during those lockdowns. So we had to move the boat, move the boat in April last year. And it was the first time that I had been on my own on, on the tiller. I actually didn't know how to do it. So I just had to set off. Um, and I think we had another, lo- we had another lockdown. And then in, in that lockdown time, I was at Yorkshire Scotch Park making that work. And I was up there making the work with the children and doing that work while this work waited. We'd installed that work. Then I came down to this work and I moved this. I moved this with my daughter, Rain. And we were together on here for about two weeks. It was utter magic. And I would be the only boat on the water. It would just be myself and Rain and corridors of irises and swans and delivering this library which is a really extraordinary thing to do. And just sort of every, every day, people, everyone's saying, are you all right? Are you okay? Yes. Managed this, managed that, worked out how to do this. And also, I was taking the boat up. Of course, the boat's public the moment it's out on the water. So also just beginning to understand what is it, what is it that we've made? How does it, what does it say to people? So how, how differently did you feel about the boat by the time you reached your destination, having it's been out in the public domain in that way well I felt like her captain yeah for sure oh I just felt I could not wait to just share it with people I really really want to be able to do that I knew without sounding arrogant I, I really don't want to sound that way I knew I'd made something special and I knew that um it could be of use so I really felt that and I really still I feel that I really feel that I feel like she's you know she's here for people I mean Laurie and I've been working on it for so long together and to come to this point you know Laurie and and all of her team and then there was all of the Lancashire Libraries team as well which were all taken through this whole process so we talked to each other all the way through and I would do when the boat was being made I'd do boat tours of the boat being made with my phone as I walked through the boat this has been made this week this has been made you know with everybody that was involved in it just to say there's something happening you know something's being made there's something happening that sense of of needing to be of use that that feeling about a a work Mm. is that something you feel with a lot of your projects yeah absolutely yeah and you mentioned that this one kind of is it it was made in tandem or at the same time as as the yorkshire sculpture park piece silence how do they speak to each other both of them do this thing they hold space they have a threshold and then there's a space that you step over and into and it will speak to you this has a very particular function in that it's a library there are things you can do which are pretty obvious that you could write or read or rest but it is it's so much more than that I hope that what we do is step in you step into a space that's about all those other things that we talked about about knowledge of power that knowledge is power that you feel cared for that you feel alive a little without being over the top about it that it's not mine 
as well. And that's exactly the same with silence, that it doesn't belong to the artist. It's something that's been created so that we can share in it together because I get an enormous amount of being in both those works myself. I was at Silence actually last week with a group that I work with from Morecambe and we had 40 people who'd come. And when I do a talk, I just talk about the practical sides of like how it was made and where the and what the techniques are and the technical parts of it because what you hope is when you step inside you don't really need to talk about that other side of it and being in the boat it's a really easy ask to say it's a library then you find what it is that it is for you you know you asked me about star trek yeah um so one of the things that i'm very interested in is our brains and how our brains work this idea of neurotypical neurodiverse simply because our worlds our lives expect us to be one way or another way or there's a normal way and so on like in star trek crews are all kinds of people doing very specific jobs and they're all very useful and they all communicate in all kinds of different ways and yet they're all working on on something they agree on a goal together and that that is really what I try to do with when I work with people. I give good space for people to feel like they can be themselves, that their own moral compass kind of guides them in relation to who they are and what they do. And the way, and I hope the sp- and that the spaces do something similar. So you wouldn't necessarily. I'm neurodivergent, but it isn't specifically for that. It's just for a, pl- a space that allows you to just go. Yeah. Okay. You know. And be listened to could you describe silence for us yeah i'll try (laughs) okay so silence is a piece of work that's in the outdoor sculpture part of yorkshire sculpture park it's a two circles basically it has an in between the circles um is a cloister area and um 13 silver birch trees grow in through the cloister area and in the central space itself so of course they were there before we made the work it sits next to the lake And it's made entirely of materials either from Yorkshire Sculpture Park, from the moors, which is where the um, heather thatch comes from, or all of the timber comes from our wood, which is part of the Celtic Rainforest Project and is being rewilded um, at the moment. Yeah. I know in in researching this, I learned the word, is it yarming? Oh, yelming. Yelming, sorry. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but we learnt it because we'd never thatched before. So we had to bring in a thatcher who also knew how to do heather thatch, which was there was one, and he came in and he taught us how to do yelming, which is basically um, tying the thatch with it's it's like a kind of twine that then rots away because it 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 then all kind of knits together thousands and thousands and thousands of these tiny little bunches of heather. Yeah. It's interesting you say about the rots away thing because part of part of silence is that at some point the whole sculpture will it will, will degrade. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And so we it's it's been there a year now. So then, yeah, we're starting to think about well, what we haven't had the conversations. We're going to have the conversations. What is it you save? What is it you alter? What do you replace? So in the inner circle is a lattice work and in between the lattice work is this Japan, beautiful Japanese white Japanese paper and that is starting to disintegrate of course so um, we're just starting to think about that so just trying to make decisions ongoing decisions continuously one of the things that's been 
of course been extraordinary is, is the amount of visitors that have been that visited so they had some kind of crazy kind of like visitor numbers of like I don't know 200,000 people have gone through it you know like you can see where they've walked so we're wondering now about what do we do about that because actually the centre of the work in theory should just be grassed and it should just grow up but there's just so many people visiting um, whether we actually preserve a piece of that so we direct people where to go would you normally direct people through an artwork I guess that one has a direction of no of no phones right anyway yeah, yeah. How readily do you impose some kind of direction or restriction or instruction? Well, it varies, but I have, yeah, I have had pieces of work where I have had rules for those pieces of work. Yeah. It can depend on where the work is. So this work, for example, sitting in the boat, you could just be walking along the canal path, just done your shopping at Sainsbury's, walking the dog, and then the boat's there and you, you come on board. So you're in that frame of mind when you encounter the work. When you encounter the work at Yorkshire Sculpture Park, you've gone to a sculpture park, You've already seen some Hepworths, uh, you know, and so on by the time you get to the work. So you're in a different frame of mind. And I work a lot less in that in that art context. I really enjoy placing something surprising and something sculptural. But sometimes um, we might need a bit of help or a little bit of just like so you can step into the space that's held on the boat all chatty and and like on your phone and Bob and don't take your shoes off and blah 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 blah. so one of the things that happens here I mean just the slowing down taking your shoes off helps massively if the boat's got like eight people reading on board it's nice and quiet or the tea's happening or this you know like something just a little bit of instruction can be all that you need in order to step in into the space that's already created without being like instructional particularly just managing the transition between one life into an, into something else. Uh, one of my favourites of your works is is one of the sort of slightly surprising ones, I suppose, is Mother and Wiccan oh, Fen. Yeah, yeah. She got. Uh, I wish that work had stayed. She couldn't stay. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed making that work. So the work is a sort of like pavilion, which is made in the shape and sculptural form of the traditional hayricks that were seen all over the fens. But you can also go inside her and she had small seating in a circle and then a very high, almost temple-like roof and she was entirely covered in grass and straw. She was on Wiccan Fen, which is really, really beautiful wetlands area. Slightly elevated because of the water underneath and so on. She was never built to last, like she had to be taken down. But she remained open through all of those lockdowns, which was re- really extraordinary because we heard a lot about local people who were walking to Mother and you, and she would be walked to and visited regularly. Yeah, that work started with Richard Maybe's book on Na- Nature Cure, which is about his wonderful journey into and out of depression and his connection with nature. And um, I read that book when I was um, living in Wales and uh, just after I'd had rain and I had postnatal depression and I lived in the most beautiful place along the Mouthwick Estuary and I would walk with my baby in front of me crying down the down the estuary and ha- working out what what on earth all of that meant, how, could, how, how to balance those things. And I read his book and I read his journey and those things kind of like, you know, um, I used that, that noticing of nature tiny tiny little something during the day that you can just grasp grasp hold of but the work was also about it's also about like difficult relationships with mothers you know it was like motherfucker as well as mother nature so it had both those things going on too and um, we had a really 
amazing dance performance that happened. It was really extraordinary with a contemporary dancer in that space and a musician as well. And you're just adding in these kind of like layers or nudges or kind of like storytelling for those people that are into it and really up for it. So um, you can, of course, you can just go and sit and scroll on your phone and sit in a piece and do that. Or you could go and just see some really wild art. Yeah, and that piece was also made on site. It was made with timber that came from our wood. Everything was walked in by hand because we were in a, like a wetlands area, so you couldn't like um, it was like knee deep in mud a lot of the time. And um, similarly, we worked with a thatcher. Yeah, it was pretty wild that piece of work putting it up because it's actually a really enormous piece of work. Yeah, it sat really beautifully on the landscape. Yeah, I love that. Actually, we visited Wiccan Fen with Helen MacDonald for the, a couple of series ago, and, oh. and I, I've been there before. I love Wiccan mm. Fen. There's something so ancient about it. You know, um, some people really say, don't they, about that area of the world, that they that they kind of don't like the flatness of it, whereas I always loved the flatness of it. I uh, think it's interesting, actually, you talking about the Richard Mabian nature cure and noticing the detail, because actually being with Helen was very similar, because she, walking through... She would suddenly pause and say, oh, that's a whatever bird, or you can see there, there's, that's an, almost a nest of something, you know, and it's that idea that if you slow down and look for detail, you'll find it. Yes. It's something to do with looking, looking, looking all of the time. I think if you can do that, then you can always find some salve in the world, actually, regardless of where you are. I also love the echo of you walking along the estuary with, with rain as a tiny baby and then you travelling with her on the boat along the water as That's well. That's true, I hadn't yeah. thought about that, yeah. Oh my, that girl's had done so many things. <laughs> she really has, yeah. Um, between between us sort of arranging to speak to you uh-huh. and coming here today, the um, invasion of Ukraine has happened mm. and it cast a whole new light on, on Black Cloud for me, one of your earlier works, which uh-huh. is sort of apocalyptic. And yeah, yeah. Could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that work and how it sort of reinvents itself, I guess, or gains new meaning? Yeah. So um, Black Cloud is a piece of work that was commissioned by Claire Doherty in 2008. And it's a piece of work that was a very kind of pavilion sculptural work that was in a park in Bristol. It was um, made, again, with timber from our wood and it was barn-raised with the community and it's burnt black so it uses this Japanese charcoaling technique which was very unusual at the time it's very common now actually to use it it gives it this incredible kind of metallic shimmer to it when the light hits it but it's also quite an ominous sort of shape and colour and form on in what is a really beautiful part of Bristol it's kind of like a sort of like insect or animal kind of like crawling up the hill and also if you touch it, it makes your hands black as well. And it was used as a pavilion from, for all kinds of activities for about five months. Then the work was taken down. Then it was reinstalled at the Hepworth in Wakefield for the opening of the Hepworth in Wakefield. And we added some lighting to it. And then the work existed much more as um, do, when, they, when they were using it, more like a bandstand, actually, and was used for music and dance and performances. But also, if you've ever been up to there, Hepworth and Wakefield, you'll also know that it sits right next to very busy kind of like six lanes of traffic as well. And 
so it's also made in a way that it sat as a sculpture and glowed it had this ring of lights in the middle of it so it glowed at night as well so I always liked that idea of being able to sit at the traffic lights and look across and see see this work too then the work was taken down I don't know how long it was there for maybe three years then the work was taken down and went to Eastside Projects in Birmingham and um, we already had a piece of work there. They were already um, using a piece of work of ours that was at the Venice Biennale. And then when Eastside Project opened, we shipped the work over and we kind of reconstructed that piece of work into their offices. So then what we did is mashed that bit of work with Black Cloud. But the other thing we did is we put a bar into it. And then finally the work got taken down. And um, some of it um, went to lots of different artists, had pieces of the work and made it into whatever, the, like, bit, things they were working on. One one artist just made the work into a bit of fence. Some of the, in fact, they're really lovely wooden, tarred and burnt black wooden cobbles, which were on the floor at Hepworth. They had originally come from Tate. They then got distributed throughout Birmingham. And then the last bit of it, I basically burnt it in my wood burner. This feels like poetry in a way. It's, it's, uh... I like, but you see, this is this thing about, um, it's, bit, it's a bit troublesome doing all this because you're not, like, in the art world, like, you're not, like, I basically kept changing the, we kept changing the meaning of the work here. Yeah. We also didn't keep it and put it somewhere in case it raised in value. We just kept it going and using it and that has been the case with I could tell you the story of nearly every piece of work in terms of that yeah that is a I think I think that is a bit of a problem sometimes <laughs> but there you go yeah I need to be happy with the whole story of how a work grew and, and thrived and blossomed and then where and then where did it go to it's about composting and mulching what happened it had to go and do that because then something else would grow out of it as well um we're talking about we a lot here and and obviously ivan isn't with us today yeah but you've worked together for 20 years now is that yeah. right yeah how has your your working relationship evolved do you think in that time um well we were married before we started working together actually so normally you wouldn't i think i think it probably you'd think it would be the other way around possibly and we met at art school as well and ivan was very he knew he wanted to be an artist and um, I just thought it was a really silly idea to be an artist <laughs> because it doesn't how do you make any money being an artist and I, and I think if you start mulching all your, all your work yeah, yeah like it just um, although when I was growing up I really loved saying I wanted to be an artist I wanted to go to art school and that really worked with my background and my family and all that kind of thing but then when it actually came to it I just needed to get a job I had no other means, so I couldn't really work out how that worked together. Whereas he really felt he had a really, really extraordinary art teacher who really instilled in him the value of a creative life. And so he really felt that in his heart. I'm saying this because if it wasn't for him, he stepped out and he decided that he could do it. And he started actually in Birmingham and he started to show his work in his allotment it doesn't cost anything it's extraordinarily interesting work and he showed yeah he showed me a way that it might happen and then um i think we got a residency together which gave us about four months worth of kind of like leeway in terms of some fee and stuff to do and so on and so we just began he kind of sort of gave me an ultimatum you know like either you you know do it either do it 
because if you really you really want to do it and if you do it you've got to give your job up. I worked in the arts anyway I worked for the art newspaper for ages yeah selling advertising which I was absolutely rubbish at <laughs> so yeah it was a bit of a leap but the thing is once you once I jumped it um, was just what I wanted to do so we worked really hard at it really 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 hard and it was quite tricky for quite a long time and we did everything together and as we've grown you know there's loads of things that happens we've had two children in all of this so there's been all kinds of like moments when one's working more than the other one's you know you're trying to move around all of that and yet we just love working on ideas together regardless of kind of how they manifest and in fact what you're looking at is the growth of lots and lots of different ideas through life as life passes alongside you I suppose sometimes we work quite separately now and yet we don't really we just talk all the time about what we're doing it's like a a most extraordinary it's like an extraordinary blessing yeah yeah it's like a magic thing Hmm. toast podcasts are presented by me laura barton and produced by jeff bird Toast is a British clothing and lifestyle brand that aspires to a slower and more thoughtful way of life. To hear more episodes from this and former series, head to Toast magazine, which can be found at www.toa.st. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe.